Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Colossians. The New Testament book of Colossians and chapter number 4. We've been going through this book of the Bible, the book of Colossians, and we're in our final message of this entire series. We've been enjoying walking through here. Many of you say this is now your new favorite book of the Bible, that it's fall, uh, came alive, it's come real. There's so much to it. And there is a lot of substance. If you remember the context of it is that the Apostle Paul never started the church of Colossae, but he was in the city of Ephesus training for a space of two and a half years. And through that Bible college, that Bible institute, people understood, they caught it, and they went and started churches in the surrounding areas of Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. A little bit later, the Apostle Paul is in Rome. He's in chains. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And the pastor of the church of Colossae went and sought Paul out. Why? Why would he make this journey to find the apostle Paul? Because a cult is beginning to form in the city of Colossae and the pastor understands that there's a danger coming and he wants to best prepare the church. How do we prepare the church? How do we prepare them so the cult doesn't deceive them, doesn't cause them to sway away, and to look at something else, to walk away from God. So the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes pen and paper in hand and begins to write to the church to tell them how they're going to be able to survive false doctrine in the church. And quite simply, chapter 1 and chapter 2 says it like this, just keeping our eyes on the Lord, looking at Him, that when we know Christ, knowing Him personally, not just book knowledge, but knowing him experientially, that as I walk with God and I read his word and I pray with him and I obey him, that the Lord becomes very real. And when the Lord is real, that I cannot be, see, be deceived on false doctrine that may sway me away. It's keeping my eyes on the Lord. And we understood through the book of Colossians that what happens when we get our eyes on something peripheral, when we get our eyes on something lesser, what happens is that we become very vulnerable to attack as we're putting our eyes on circumstances, on standards, and we get our eyes on people, on, on things. When our eyes are on the Lord, we cannot be deceived. But when they're on something else, we become very vulnerable. And then chapters three and four is the practical application. If I have my eyes on the Lord, if I'm looking at God and following after him, there are going to be certain things that will show up in our life, setting our affections on above, mortifying our members, putting ourselves to death as we're following after Christ. There are going to be things that we put off and things that we put on, that we understand that we will let the word of Christ dwell in us richly with the principle being you cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. We understand that if our eyes 
things are on the Lord that the way that it ought to be, then our homes will be on order. You see, that's the secret that if God is in his rightful place, everything else in our life will be in a rightful place. But when God is not in his rightful place, everything in our life become out of order. And once again, we become vulnerable. If we have our eyes on the Lord, we'll be the proper employees and servants that we ought to be. That if our eyes are on the Lord, there are going to be things that we do as we try to walk walk in wisdom with those that are without, knowing that our testimony affects those who are living outside of us and that what we do in a practical thing, people are watching and it's either going to draw them closer to the Lord or send them further away. Now, as we come to the very conclusion of the book of Colossians chapter number four, we come to a section that becomes very interesting. And if you don't mind, let's read it and then we'll make some commentary on it. The book of Colossians chapter four, and notice with me starting at verse number seven, the book of Colossians chapter four and verse number seven, all my state shall Tychus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I've sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all the things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you have received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervent for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and for them that are in Laodicea and them in Heriopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are at Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is repeated twice within this passage here? First time we see it is in the, in the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 9. And make reference, mark that uh, phrase that we find in verse 9, who is one of you? Then once again, in verse number 12, we have that same phrase in the book of Colossians chapter four and verse 12, who is one of you? And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach that message from this salutation greeting here, who is one of you? Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you 
once again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us wisdom and that you would give us greeting, that you would help us to understand this passage, that we can glean and apply, and that we could be encouraged by this passage. Thank you again for all that you do for hearing and answering prayers, for saving us and forgiving us, for restoring us when we walk away, for being a God who loves us so very much. Be an encouragement to your folks tonight and that you would fill me with your precious spirit so you can get your own work accomplished. Just set me out of the way. Lord, just use me as you see fit and we can trust you to do your own work. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Normally, if you were to be honest, when you get to an end of a passage like this and you get to a list of names, usually you say, well, I'm never going to pronounce them anyways. And then something wonderful happens that when you're reading in your Bible that you find that every that your eye touches every word of the page and you just hurry up, skim past this. Oh, it's just a list of names. They're not that important to me. And so the, the, the meat of it's gone. So I'm just going to read past. And what happens when we read through genealogies or the begots or whatnot? Sometimes we miss some important principles that are found. And in this passage here, we find a very important principle. Who is one of you? An amazing thing happens when someone trusts Jesus Christ as their personal savior. That not only are you forgiven of your sins, not only do you have the Holy Spirit who now resides within you who can never be separated from you, not only have you been born again, but you are also been placed into the family of God. You are now in one of the most important groups ever. You are in the family of God. In addition to being a part of the family of God, you also have the privilege of being part of something that is God's working within the, church, within the world today, and that is the local church. That God has chosen to use the local church, and when you are a part of a local church, you are part of something bigger than yourself. You are part of something, according to the book of Ephesians, that make the angels go, wow. You're a part of something big. And whether it's talking about a local church or whether we're referring to the family of God, without a doubt, there are certain personalities that are found within the church and without the, within the family of God. Praise the Lord that God has not made cookie cutters. Praise the Lord he has made us individuals. And with individuals, we have individual personalities. It's amazing how that works. I have three children and my wife and I have been together almost 20 years now. And all three of our children, even though they came from us, are completely different. We didn't program them this way. It's not how we imagined. They're not the same at all. Their personalities are different. Their likes are different. They are not cookie cutters. They are not the same. They have different likes, different personalities. And praise the Lord, that's the same for us. Not all of us are the same. We don't look the same. We don't act the same. We don't enjoy necessarily the same things. For example, I'm a nerd. I like to study for fun. That's not what some of you like to do. God has made us different. And he made us unique. And we have different backgrounds. We have different past. 
We have different futures. And may I say, we even have different directions that the Lord has for us in a specific will of God. For example, God has given for me to be the pastor of the Riverview Baptist Church for this specific time. That is not something that God has necessarily given for you at this specific time. You have a different role. Aren't you thankful that God has not made us the same? We're not the same mold. We're not the same shape. And nor are you forced to be the same. We're made different. And within any church and within the family of God, you're going to have different types of people. And each one of them are going to be different and unique. And we see a sampling of that inside of this salutation with the idea, which is one of you, that all of these people that are named are part of the family. Everyone that is named here has something special and unique about them. And so if you don't mind, what I'd like to do here is I'd like to pull out each of the individuals that are mentioned in this passage. And let's learn something about the individuals and see the, what they represent as a type, as an application, that we could see the different types of people within a church and the different people within the family of God. Let's look and see what does it mean to be one of you, what it means to be part of the family of God and who's all a part of it. The very first name that we run into is the name of Tychus. Tychus. Notice with me in verse number 7 and 8, and let's see what the Apostle Paul says about this man of Tychus. All my state shall Tychus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother. So notice we find something. Who is he? He's a beloved brother. He's someone who's accepted Christ as, our savior, as his Savior, and he's a brother. He is part of the family of God. What else do we learn about him? Who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Here we can see some things about him. He is a faithful minister. He is a faithful minister. He is someone that has been trusted. What is he trusted to do, by the way? Verse number eight, whom I've sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Tychus was one of the people that was assigned by Paul to deliver the letters to the churches. Remember that as the apostle Paul is in Rome, that he writes what is called the prison epistles. He is going to write while he's in prison, the, the letter to the Ephesians the letter to the Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. Onesimus is going to be traveling with him, and we're going to cover Onesimus in a second. But Tychus was the man who was tasked to deliver not only the letter, but the report of how Paul is doing. Paul is in prison right now, and so people are curious. How's he doing? I mean, has he joined a gang? What's going on with him? And so he was able to kind of deliver what's going on with Paul. How's he doing? How's he holding up? How are things going? And he was trusted. Can you imagine how important that was? Tychus, these are three letters. And they're not just regular letters this time. I believe they're scripture. I believe that God was working and that there is something different here. You have in your hand three different books of the word of God. And your job is to make sure they are delivered to the proper places. Could you imagine what a responsibility that was? That remember, this letter does not exist anywhere else except for Tychus' hands. You know what he was required? To be faithful. 
Moreover, it is required in a steward that he be found faithful. What we understand is an application. Who do we find inside of the family of God? We find faithful people. It is required for a local church to operate to have faithful people. If you don't have faithful people, then the whole thing falls apart. You need people who are going to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You have people who are going to be faithful to the Lord in giving. You're going to need people who are going to be faithful to teach a class. Could you imagine? Your job is to teach a Sunday school class, but I don't know if you're going to be there or not. That would be a hurt to children, wouldn't it? If someone's depending on you and you don't show up, that hurts others around. It is required inside of the family of God and it's required inside of a local church that there are people who will be faithful. Moreover, it is required in a steward that he be found faithful. Here the apostle Paul says he's a faithful minister. That word minister means a servant. He's a faithful servant. I can trust him. I could trust him to do what he is supposed to do. He's a fellow servant. He is one of you. That inside of the family of God, we need people who are faithful. What else do we find here? We find another name and starting at verse number nine, a man by the name of Onesimus. Now we've already made a big deal of Onesimus, but may I catch you back up on his history? Notice with me in verse nine. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. This is going to be a big deal here in just a second. Who is one of you? Now remember that the whole idea of the book of Philemon, which is part of the church of Colossae, remember that the church of Colossae is meeting in Philemon's house. Remember that in that day, they didn't have nice church buildings like this. So they would usually meet in someone's house, meeting together. Well, Philemon was the house that was there. Well, Philemon, even though he uh, had invited people to come and people were meeting in his church, he had a slave by the name of Onesimus. Now, reminder that we know that slavery is an abomination in any culture, any time, but it existed. In the Roman Empire, 75% of the population were slaves. It was a reality of that day. And Onesimus was a slave who got bitter and upset with his master Philemon. He had heard the church services going on, heard the things, but didn't want anything of that. Finally, he had enough. And what he did is he stole from his master. Took some things and left. His desire that he was going to go disappear. And so he went to the biggest city of the known world at that time. And that would be Rome. It'd be like someone who wants to run away from their parents and goes to New York. They go to disappear. And because slavery was so common, the Roman Empire had to do everything it could to keep slave insurrections from coming up. So any slave who ran away from their master was automatically under the penalty of death according to the Roman law. So here's a man who sinned and was under the penalty of death. He was already condemned already. He was a runaway slave. And if anyone caught him, he would die. He decides he's going to go to Rome and there at Rome, maybe things didn't work out the way that he saw fit and he got to the bottom of his barrel. Then he hears some news. The apostle Paul is in prison at Rome. He hears the news. He had heard about Paul before. Remember that a lot of the people like the pastor of the church and uh, Philemon himself had went to Ephesus to learn from Paul at his Bible Institute. Paul was mentioned quite a bit. So Onesimus gets to the bottom of his barrel, 
says, you know what? I need some hope. I need some encouragement. I hear a familiar name. I want to go see Paul. Now, can you imagine? Paul is technically chained to a Roman soldier. There's not a chance meeting. Onesimus had to approach the Roman official to go speak to Paul. Why am I saying we're desperate? You'd have to be pretty desperate when you're under the penalty of death if you get caught to go show up to where a Roman soldier is at just so you can talk to Paul. There was something, there was a need inside of him. And Paul was able to lead this man to the Lord. Onesimus kind of served him for a while until the pastor of the church of Colossae showed up. Hey, Onesimus, I know you. Oops, the gig's up now. And the apostle Paul took a letter and wrote to Philemon and said, I want you to receive Onesimus as a brother. And now he's telling the church of Colossae the same thing. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. You know what Onesimus is? He's one of you. What do you mean by that? He's forgiven and he's saved. He used to be in the bondage of sin, but there's something that happened in his life and he changed. You want to know something about you in case you forgot? You were a sinner. You have a past. And you were forgiven. We understand that not all of us had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. In fact, may I say most of us in here did not grow up in a Christian home. That means we have some luggage, some baggage behind us. We have some things that we didn't, not proud of. We have some things that we look back with regret. And the wonderful thing is, is that we're forgiven. You know what we have in the family of God? People who have got baggage that was saved and forgiven. And now we're in the family of God. We're brothers and sisters. Every one of us are equal on this respect. We're all sinners. There is none righteous. No, not one. All of us got into the family the same way through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We could deal with people who come in who may have a different past than us if we all realize that we were all sinners. We may have different sins to our account, but we were all sinners. And now we're part of the family. Who is one of you? This was a big deal for Onesimus to hear the Apostle Paul write this to the church. Who is one of you? Saved and forgiven. He's a brother now. Receive him as a brother. What else do we find inside of the family of God? What do we find inside of a local church? Notice again in verse number nine, we start off with Onesimus. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They shall make known unto you all the things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Now, who is Aristarchus? Aristarchus was someone who followed the Apostle Paul in the most difficult times. In a different passage, um, in fact, this passage here, notice this, how it describes him. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. What does this mean? Well, Aristarchus is very interesting because the Apostle Paul got arrested and now he's in jail. And Aristarchus said, "Um, sir, I know that um, I'm not guilty of anything, but can you arrest me too? Why? I want to be with my pastor. I want to stand with my pastor even in the hardest times. He voluntarily put himself as a prisoner so that way his pastor was not alone. You know what you need inside of the family of God? People are going to stand with their pastor even if it gets difficult. 
People are going to stand with their pastor even if it gets lonely. People are going to stand with their pastor even when it gets dangerous. For a New Testament church to operate, you have to have people that stand with your pastor. That are going to stand and say, I'm willing to endure whatever it takes. Inside of the family of God, you do have people like that that said, I'm going to stand with my preacher. I'm going to stand right beside him. I know that some people may not like what he does. That some people may not like the way the pastor sounds. I know that not every pastor has the high squeaky voice when he gets excited. But you know what? Some people need to say, that's my pastor anyways. Amen. It's my pastor. I'm going to stand with him. Well, I don't like what he does. Listen, it's my pastor. I love him. But listen here. He doesn't do things the way. No, it doesn't matter. He's my pastor. Every church needs someone like an Aristarchus that says, you know what? I'm going to stand with my pastor no matter how hard it gets. I'm going to be a fellow prisoner. If they throw dirt on my pastor, I'm going to get dirty too. I'm going to stand right beside him. I'm not moving out of the way. Praise the Lord for that. Every local church needs one of those. Who else do we find inside of the family of God? What do we find inside of a local church? Notice again in verse number 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, my brother's son to Barnabas, touching whom you've received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. Notice this Marcus. We would know him commonly as Mark, the gospel writer of the gospel record of Mark. In the Bible, you'll know him as John Mark. Now, he's got an interesting story. He was Barnabas's nephew, and he grew up in the church of Jerusalem. When Paul and Barnabas went out in their first missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, you mind if my nephew tags along? I think he'd be great. We need someone to carry bags. We need someone to go with us. He, he, he loves the Lord. You know, this would be a great opportunity for him to learn on the job. Sure, if he's going to be helped, great. So they get to the missionary journey, and it becomes rough. And John Mark says, well, this is way too much for me. <laughs> I can't handle this. And he quits. The apostle Paul and Barnabas are in the middle of the mission field. And he quits. I can't handle this. I go home. Forget it. I, I, I go back to mama. Mama! And he goes back to mom. But praise the Lord, he just didn't stay there. He went back into his local church and got busy. And now he gets fixed and he's recommended. Unfortunately, there was still a misunderstanding. They're going to the second missionary journey. And John Mark says, hey, uh, you mind if I go with you this time? And Barnabas says, hey, you got things fixed. I talked to your pastor. Your pastor says you've grown well. Let's go. And Paul says, no, I can't stand quitters. He hurt me. By the way, it was a discouragement for John Mark to leave. By the way, may I remind you that anytime someone leaves church, it's a discouragement. Here's John Mark. He quit. It was too rough. It wasn't what I expected. Too hard. They had too much. You can't expect me to go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's just too much. Sunday school. I, was, I got to sleep. They come up with a reason why can't go and they eventually quit. And it hurts. Paul perhaps did not deal with that well, but there was a contention between Paul and Barnabas so much they almost came to blows. And so Barnabas went his way, took John Mark. Paul took um, Silas and they went on. But something happened. John Mark proved himself. John Mark got discipled by Peter. 
And Peter invested in this young man. Later on, John Mark wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the gospel record of Mark, which is the gospel record written from Peter's perspective. John Mark listened and wrote this down. He proved himself. And now look at this. After all of this, John Mark got things fixed with Paul. Notice what Paul says about him in verse 10. And it says, And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye have received commandments, if he, John Mark, comes to you, receive him. Let me tell you about John Mark. He's become a great preacher. John Mark's going to be a help to you. And if he comes by and he's going to preach for him, you let him come. He's going to be a help to you. That's good praise from the Apostle Paul. He's recommending young John Mark. He's someone who's now following the Lord. You know what we have? Is that we do have a member who fell and backslid. But praise the Lord, they could get restored. You know what we have inside of the family of God? Some people that fall. Some people that backslide. We need to be spiritual people and restore such a one. We need to be ready. We know that we got hurt when someone leaves and we had so much hope and so much desire for them and they just quit. But if they, we should always make it so they always feel like they can come back. No matter what or who they are. That if they want to get right with God, we want to be able to help them out. People need to get restored. You know what you find in the family of God? It's not only people who got saved, but people who got restored. People who backslid and got right and the church didn't just beat them up over it. But they brought them back in and said, let's, let's work with you. Let's help you out. That's what you need inside of a church. It's people who got restored. People who always feel like they can always come back no matter what happens. By the way, we have to work hard at that. That if somebody does leave, they should always feel like they could come back home. Always. What else do you find in the family of God? What else do you find inside of a local church? Who is one of you? Notice as we find in verse number 11, we meet another guy and Jesus. Now, let me pause and remind you that some people had the same names. Don't get tripped over. This isn't talking about Jesus, our savior. In fact, notice as it describes him in Jesus, which is called justice. So that way you don't get confused. This is justice. Who are of the circumcision? That tells you right away that this is a Hebrew person, a Jewish man. These only are my fellow workers in the kingdom of God which have been a comfort to me. What we find here is that Justice, he was a religious man. He was a Jewish person who got saved. Do you know that within a local church and within the family of God, you do have people who were great sinners, who got in a lot of messes, and praise the Lord, they got saved. But you know what else you find inside of the, house, the family of God? Are people who were religious but lost who tried to do their best, who tried to live good lives. They didn't rack up a lot of sins, as you would call gross sins, but they still need saved anyways. People who have a religious background who try to live good lives. Praise the Lord, even those people can get saved. And so here is a man, justice. Religious background, religious but lost. He's opposite of Onesimus. Onesimus was a great sinner and was worthy of death clearly. Praise the Lord that religious people can get saved too. Praise the Lord that kids raised in church can get saved. In fact, I personally believe that kids who were saved in church have a better testimony than someone who was a great sinner and then got saved. 
Why? Because we have the testimony that God protected them from all the garbage that a lot of us had to deal with. Praise the Lord, by God's grace, they didn't have to deal with immorality, drugs, alcohol, relationships. Praise the Lord for that. That was God's mercy and God's grace. Praise the Lord for a testimony like that. By the way, even preachers' kids need to get saved. Praise the Lord, missionary kids need to get saved. Deacons' kids especially need to get saved. But religious people still need the saved. It's not the life that you lived. Whether you're a great sinner or a small sinner, we all need Jesus Christ, who is one of you. Notice, if you don't mind, we read again. We find someone else. Verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Now, who's Epaphras? Epaphras is the pastor of the church of Colossae. Remember that when he realized what had happened, that the cult was forming, and he realized, I need a little bit more than what I have. This is a little bit beyond me. By the way, it's always good to ask for help. No one is required to know everything. Even the pastor is not required to know everything. He knew that I needed more help. I need to know how to deal with this, and I need to go seek out someone. And I know someone, I'm going to go find him. And from great expense, he traveled from Asia to Europe. He traveled continents. He traveled miles. He faced danger. I meant not everyone would be brave enough to go see Paul who's currently in prison. Hey, I want to go see this Paul guy. Why? (laughs) I got a question to ask him. Can I see him? And now Epaphras is there at jail with him. But notice what he's known for. He's the pastor, sure. But notice what he's doing while he's there in Rome. Verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. What's this servant doing? Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Why? What's his purpose? What is he praying? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Here's Epaphras, who's currently in jail. But that doesn't mean he's out of the fight. He is laboring in prayer. Why? He's the pastor. He loves these people. And he wants them to stand complete in all of the will of God. He labors in prayer. By the way, prayer is work. You know what the family of God needs? People who are praying. You know what every church needs? People who know how to pray. A part of every good church is someone who knows how to pray how to pray. What are we praying for? That people would stand complete in the will of God. Not just peripheral things, but they could stand perfect and complete, spiritually mature and whole in everything that God has for them. Remember, we had a message earlier about being complete in Christ. That's what God wants for us. And someone laboring in prayer. Remember, prayer is the gas that runs the machine. You can only travel as far as you can on your knees. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent upon him. And it has to be someone getting a hold of God and praying. Praise the Lord that prayer is something that anyone can do. Y'all have heard that 
uh, one of my big desires is that when we have soul winning, I want the physically able people to go out soul winning, but I want those who may be a little bit older and can't do those anymore. They could be laboring in prayer while we're going out. And by the way, that's more effective than us just going out. Those prayers work. Laboring in prayer. Never write off prayer. In fact, we need to pray more. We'd be more effective if we prayed an hour and went out for five minutes than prayed for 30 seconds and go out for an hour. Because it's all dependent on God. And we need people who get a hold of this and understand that every church needs someone that prays. And inside of the family of God, we need someone who knows how to pray and pray for others. Notice he prays for evangelism, verse 13. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and for them that are at Lady Osea and Heriopolis. He says he's not just cares for your church. He's praying that others would be stand complete in the word of and Christ. Praise the Lord for a prayer warrior who can be trusted to pray for others as well. You know, we need people to pray for our missionaries and to labor for them. Not just to say a 30 second prayer and hopefully you remember their names, but to labor in prayer. We need someone to labor in prayer for their pastor. The idea of praying is a big deal. If you could forgive a couple illustrations from, the his, from history, but someone once walked into D.L. Moody and said, what is the secret to your ministry? What, where do you get all this power from? Remember, D.L. Moody only had an eighth grade education. How did this work? He says, let me show you. He went to the very front and there was three old ladies and he said, they were praying for me this whole time. That was the secret. Someone went into the London Metropolitan Tabernacle inside of uh, London, England to where Charles Spurgeon was the pastor. The people who were visiting went and found some random guy and said, hey, what's the secret to Charles Spurgeon? Uh, you know, is it a study? Is it a personality? He says, let me show you. And now in the London Metropolitan Tabernacle, it's a several story building with balconies. And so the pastor would stand up on the uh, second floor and kind of look down and there were balconies. And underneath the balcony where the pastor would stand, there was a little door. And the guy says, inside of here every Sunday morning, there's a hundred men who are praying for the entire service. The entire service, they're on their knees praying that people get saved, that the word of God will go forth, praying for their pastor. That's the secret the man kind of dismissed him and said, I hope you have a good day. As the visitors were walking out, someone walked in and said, wow, what was that like? What do you mean? You just talked to Charles Spurgeon. They didn't know it. Charles Spurgeon just said, that's the secret of the power. It's not me. It's not my study. It's not my personality. It's those people praying. That's the secret. Inside of every good church is people who learn how to labor in prayer. Inside of the family of God, we've got need people who know how to labor in prayer and pray for others and to pray for those who are missionaries, those who are serving, laboring that they would be complete and perfect in all of the will of God. Amen. Who else is found within the family of God? Who else is important part of a local church? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 14, we find another name. Luke the beloved physician. Of course, one of my favorite New Testament Bible characters, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, 
was a slave himself. His master sent him to get a medical license and he was actually medically licensed through the Rome system. He was an official doctor. He got saved and his master freed him. And Dr. Luke found the Apostle Paul. You find it inside of the book of Acts that the first part of Acts is written in third person and then all of a sudden it switches to the first person as Dr. Luke joins him and says, I, we, us. And he became a part of it. Dr. Luke was a medical doctor, not necessarily a preacher, but he says, Paul needs something. Paul had been beaten. Paul had suffered through an eye disease. He had lacerations. He had a broken back. He was stoned to death at one time. He had a lot of medical things. You know who kept him duct tape up? Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke traveled with him as his personal physician just to keep Paul going. Praise the Lord. Do you think Dr. Luke was important to that missionary endeavors? You bet, because without him, Paul probably couldn't go on. You know what we have here is people that have learned skills. And they could use those skills for the Lord. Whether it's electronics and communications, those are important. Even people who've learned how to clean well, that's, that's a blessing. Skilled laborers who could learn something, carpentry, plumbers. They can put their skills to the Lord. They're important of keeping things going. God has equipped each of us. Maybe secretary skills. That's important. Paperwork still makes the world go round. We need people who know how to make money. They're important. We need people who could be able to use common sense. People who could use computers. People who could play a piano. People who could lead singing. All those skills can be used and God equips people with skills whether it's graphic design or whether it's editors, whether it's someone who learns how to transcribe, there are skills that can be used in the work of God. And God allows people to have those skills to use for his glory and honor. Who is one of you? Not everyone has to be the pastor, but everyone has a role. Everyone has something. Remember, your greatest ability is your availability. God will use anyone who makes himself available. If you could again forgive some illustrations. One of my spiritual fathers, uh, Dr. Curtis Hudson tells a story that he, when he was pastoring in Atlanta, he had a man who was a taxi cab driver. This is before Uber and all the other stuff. And this man, <laughs> a taxi cab driver on Sunday mornings, he would drive around with his taxi looking for someone that he could take to their destination but when they would ask him, he'd say, now this is Jesus' taxi. I'll be willing to take you wherever you want for free, but you got to come with me to church. If they're like, no, 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 I can't go to church. Well, then you can't go today. This morning, it's Jesus' taxi. Every Sunday, he may come in late, but every Sunday, he came in. It could have been late, and he always brought someone with him. And he didn't sit in the back. He'd always sit in the very front, dragging whoever it was, waving at his pastor, even at the pastor in the middle of the message. But he would always, and many people got saved because of that. As long as you make yourself available. Brother Sumadorf, uh, one of our evangelists, good friend of mine, he tells of a story of the home church that he was at in Alaska, that they have a young man who um, had some um, mental development problems, but he's the usher. And uh, when he would go usher people, he would take the plate. And he doesn't do like some of our young men are trained that they just go down the aisles and pass it down. What this man does is he goes in between the pews and stands between them. 
until they put something in the plate. Then you go to the next person. <laughs> Offerings would sometimes take a while, but everyone gave. Praise the Lord for him. He had a job to do and he took it seriously. Your greatest ability is your availability. And God can use anyone if they just make themselves available. There are some times that God gives people skills that can be used. Praise the Lord, we need a chiropractor to get saved and be a part of the church. I can't wait till we have a full medical team. One of my personal prayers is we get enough people saved from different countries that they could translate all the books that I write and put them so we give them to missionaries. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You say, well, that sounds impossible. Ah, you know what? God's a great God. He knows where they're at. <laughs> Who knows? I just got through talking with people from 11 different uh, language groups today. They need to get saved. Amen. You know, they're all over. We just got to go find them. <clears throat> Who else do we have within the family of God? Who else is part of a local church? Notice we have another name found in Luke, and verse number 14. You have Luke, the beloved physician. But notice this. And Demas greet you. Here's a man that's going to show up later on. Right now, he's still part of the church. Right now, he's still part of the family of God. Right now, he's still working alongside Paul and he says hello. Unfortunately, we here's a man. Nobody can tell it right now, but he's on his way out. Later on, the apostle Paul is going to have to report that Demas hath forsaken me, loving this present world. Unfortunately, Inside of every church, there's at least one who loves the world a little bit too much. There's one or more that says, you know what? Church is starting to become boring. I just don't get out of it the same I used to. They may say, well, the preacher's just not feeding me anymore. Preacher hasn't changed messages. There's someone that says, you know, my Bible reading's not exciting anymore. It's kind of boring. Someone who starts saying, you know what, I could use my time a little bit better if I wasn't in church. Someone who says, it, it's not a big deal if I skip here and miss this meeting. And what happens is you have someone who's on their way out. They're choosing the world and they're step by step by step getting away. Now, we love to do anything that we can to pull them back, to stop them, to draw them in. But without a doubt, in every local church, there's someone who's starting to take steps away, who don't even realize that they're walking away, but their heart is starting to turn cold. God is no longer as close to them. Ministry, church, it's not exciting anymore. The Bible's cold and distant. Why even read it? I'm too busy. There's someone that's on their way out. Who is one of you? Now, if we could find them, if we could find and do whatever we can, we'd love to pull them back. Let them know that it's still worth it. Get your eyes back on the Lord. Get looking at him. Who is some of you? Without a doubt, we've experienced that, the ebb and flow. We get full and then we watch some people walk away. We get full and watch some people walk away. Without a doubt. If that's you, may I say, 
The answer is not to get your eyes on the pastor. Your eyes is to get your eyes on the Lord. He is good and he loves you. Don't walk away. Don't let the Bible get cold. Don't let church get boring. Don't choose this present world and sacrifice all that God has for you planned in the future. But here's a man named Demas. Right now he's laboring, but his heart, which cannot be seen by anyone else, is starting to change. And it's not going to be but a few years that he leaves the ministry, leaves Paul, loving this present world. Without a doubt, there are people like that in every church. And there are people like that within the family of God. Who else is found inside of a local church? Who else do we find inside of the family of God? Notice with me, if you don't mind, we have another person that is mentioned inside of verse number 17. Verse number 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou has received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Who is Archippus? Archippus is Philemon's son. Now remember, Philemon is not the pastor, but Philemon is the man whose um, house they're using to meet in. Epaphras was the pastor, but he left. Archippus was the preacher boy that was trained, and now that Epaphras is gone, he's the guy who's now the interim pastor becoming the pastor. And he's someone who needs encouragement. The Apostle Paul takes time to try to encourage him. Take heed or say to Archippus, hey, remind specifically, tell Archippus, take heed to the ministry that thou was received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Let me encourage you that God gave you this and you need to take attention to it. You need some encouragement. You know, within the family of God, within a local church, there's always someone who needs encouragement. There's always things happening. Life happens. Someone once said that if you preach to broken hearts, you'll never lack an audience. Why? There's people who need encouragement. Sickness, health, family, finances. There's a lot of discouragements out there. Death. Just people in general. Social media. There's a lot of discouragements. And people need encouragement. And people need to be encouraged to keep going. Take another step. Keep going to class. Keep showing up to church. It's going to be worth it. Keep going. Keep going. Take another step. You know, if there's so many people that need encouragement, you know what we need? More encouragers. Amen. Looking out. Hey, I missed you on Sunday. You all right? What needs to happen for you to come Sunday night? To encourage and we keep going. How's your Bible reading? Hey, you know what? You're having trouble reading your Bible? What can I do to help you go forward? We need people to encourage others. One of the things that is so awful with our world right now is that we're taught just to focus on ourselves. Yes. And we don't look out realizing that there are people around us that are hurting. People around us that have real discouragements. You'll never know what putting your arm around someone and saying, let's just pray. It could change their entire life. You know what? I don't know what's going on, but I could tell there's something on your heart. Let's pray. It could be just the encouragement they need because they may have been thinking about quitting. They may be just thinking about just it's just not worth it anymore. 
Some people need encouragement to keep moving forward, to take another step. Who is one of you? Who else do we find inside of the, the um, family of God? Well, we know the person who is writing this. Notice with me in verse number 18. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. You know, Paul is one of the family. May I remind you that there is no one greater in the family? We're all saved. It's all about Jesus, not about us. Paul's part of the family. He's not the head of the family, and that's Jesus. He has a part of it, but he's a part of the family. I appreciate being the pastor, but all I am is a sinner saved by grace that God put here. There's nothing magical about me, nothing greater than me, just a sinner saved by grace. We're all an important part of the family. We're all different. We all have needs. We're all part of it. Not only Paul, one of the family, but there are some that are in trouble and some that are in affliction. Without a doubt, Paul is in a discouraging time. Now, praise the Lord, he wrote the book of Philippians, another one of those prison epistles, which is all about joy in the Lord. How do you have joy in the Lord? How do you have this peace that doesn't make sense? I'm keeping my eyes on the Lord. There are some people that could be hurting, still keeping their eyes on the Lord, but they're still hurting. They're in afflictions. There are some of the big trials. They may not complain about it, but these are the biggest trials they've ever faced up to this time. There are people like that. There are no superstars in God's family. There's Jesus who wants to use people. But there are people that are hurting. Who else is part of the family? One more I want to show you in verse number 15. Salute the brethren. We see the brethren. What does it have to do? The unnamed people that make up the family. There's a lot of people that make up the family. And all of them are important. You may not have your name in lights. They may not be in the bulletin. It may not be in the letter to the Apostle Paul. But there are a lot of people out there who are part of the family. And they're all important. They're all people that Jesus died for. All people that accepted Jesus' free gift for themselves. The brethren. They're part of the family. They may not have their names. There may be a lot of times that they may not get recognition. They may do things in the background that nobody ever knows about. But they're important. And they're part of the family. Part of the brethren. May never get a recognition. May never get an award. Never get that applause. You are the greatest pew sitter we have ever had. But they're important. They're part of the family. Who is one of you? Dear friend, let me tell you, if you've accepted Jesus as your personal savior, you're part of the family of God. Ah, don't close up shop yet. Why is this so important? Turn with me to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter number one. What makes this so important? What makes all of this important? What makes the family of God important? What makes a local church so important? Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. Colossians 1 18. 
And he, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Inside of the family of God, Jesus needs the preeminence. Inside of each local church, Jesus needs the preeminence. That it needs to be all about him. We're thankful that we're part of the family of God, but it is not about us. It's not about Paul. It's not about Demas. It's not about Epaphras. It's not about Onesimus. It's all about him. All eyes are on him. That's what makes it worth it. Notice with me, chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, 27. To whom God will make known what are the riches of his glory in this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. What makes the family of God so important? Christ in you. What makes each member of the local church so important? Christ in you. It's not about you, but it's Christ in you that he has the preeminence. He is the most important part of the family of God. He is the most important part of the local church. And because of that, our eyes need to be upon him. Every member of the family needs to be looking at him. Not looking at us, not looking at the pastor, looking at him. He's the one that we need to please. He's the one that needs to be honored. It is him whom the family is named after him. As for us, we're just one of them, one of the family of God. And hopefully you're a member of a local church because you're important because Christ. Let us do our best as the family of God to purposely to give him the preeminence to keep our eyes on him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.